Good evening, everyone. Good evening. Good evening, everyone. Hello. My voice isn't real loud, so I'll uh, try to project and have everybody here. Thanks so much for coming tonight. There's quite a list of subjects that we're going to go over. We'll begin not right at, at the deepest level, but in the sovereignty of God and the glory of God area. I'm really excited about doing this. I'm humbled and honored that Eric would ask me to, to share this information, so I'm, I'm just thrilled. Let's pray before we begin. Father, I just thank you for this opportunity to look into your word, to study more about who you are, what you, what you want to show to us, Father. Pray, Lord, for discernment for everyone here, some, some new, some uh, topics that have already been covered in people's lives. I just pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would minister to the people in the way that you desire. Just look forward to what you have in store for us, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. I began looking at, this is mostly about election, but also about many other subjects. I began looking at election many, many, many years ago. And I want to say right at the outset that I'm really grateful for my past, my um, Bible teacher and friend, Dick Johnson, who helped me put some of these uh, subjects together. I've, he inspired me to go deeper into what these subjects are about. And so for that, I'm really grateful. It's just been thrilling to to know and understand more about who God is. I'm not a theologian like Bob and Eric. I'm glad they're here tonight so that if we get to those questions that I don't know how to answer and I don't know all the answers to all these questions, uh, we have another resource right in our midst. I'm thankful for that. To begin with, you've seen this before. And of course, all scripture is inspired by God and be diligent to present yourself. Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to our sons forever, that we may observe all the words of this law. Isaiah 55, 8, 9, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. In regard to notes, I will have these same presentations available after our session is over. I have 30 copies, so the first 30 can have them, and then we'll, we'll go on from there after that. So you're welcome to take additional notes, of course, after that, but you, I will have the same screens uh, saved for you. I'd like to take a little bit of a detour from election and talk about time. Why do I want to talk about time in, a, in an election kind of a subject? The reason is to put in perspective who God is and who we are. On this little screen, time has a strange property. You can move forward and look back, but you can't move back or look forward. Do any of you remember tomorrow? <laughs> a friend of mine used to say, when, when he first said this, he's a little skeptical about asking that question in California. He might get some yeses. <laughs> I'm going to just read a little section here that <clears throat> is about time. Albert Einstein in 1905 formed the special theory of relativity, which essentially says that length, mass, velocity, and time are relative to the observer's own velocity. Okay? Got to think this through. Put on your thinking caps tonight. About 10 years later, he formed the general theory of relativity. The main insight that is derived from this is that there really is no distinction between time and space. We have a hard time with that because we live in time and space. But that's what Dr. Einstein concluded. Time has a strange property, as, as it says on the screen. Einstein also recognized that we live in at least a four-dimensional continuum. 
So this is no longer a theory. It's been proven, confirmed 12 different ways over many, many different uh, years and decimals as well. The main point for you and I are to understand is that time is a physical property. We live in at least four dimensions. The particle physicist would suggest that we live in at least ten dimensions. So when you think about that, we're stretching our brains here a little bit. Time, it's been proven in that regard. Albert Einstein said, people like us who believe in physics know that the distinction between the past, the present, and the future is only a stubbornly persistent illusion. Famous quote from Albert Einstein. So even, you know, he's, he's looking at time in a very different way. I think that's part of how we can begin to look at time because God lives in, in many, who knows how many dimensions of time. We live in four dimensions. Someone said that God invented time so that everything wouldn't happen all at once. <laughs> it's a little, nice little quote. So if we think of time as a line, you know, the traditional timeline thing, three-dimensional space, back there is the past, or back there in, from where you're looking, and we're right here in the present, and there's the future ahead of us. If we're living in eternity, free of the constraints of time, then we can see the past, the present, and the future simultaneously. And, of course, that's what God does. He says, I alone know the end from the beginning. So when you put in perspective, we're trying to understand what election is, what predestination is, what all these difficult subjects are to talk about, they're easy for God. He designed them. They're not so easy for us. Look at this scripture. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. Remember the former things long past, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is no one like me. In the blue, declaring the end from the beginning. So God is looking at a whole different perspective than where we're coming from tonight, or all of our lives, actually. And from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying, my purpose will be established, and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. I get excited about verses like that. I just get thrilled. This is, this is what, what our picture is going to be about tonight, is who God is. More than just election, more than just the difficult, how do you sort through the details kind of subjects. But we're going to look at who God is and that we serve an almighty God. Any questions so far? I love the interaction. I don't want to pause the whole hour session and and not, you know, try to complete what we want to. But I want you to feel free if there's problems or discussions. That's why we're here. This is a smaller group so we can talk about issues. Just like time and where God lives, these are certain doctrines that we cannot explain. God is eternal. Where did God come from? I will exist forever. How do you understand that stuff? I mean, eternity? You know, they say, well, someone described eternity, maybe you've heard it before, about the, the bird that would take and fly to the mountain and get one grain of sand and bring it back to another location and, and drop it. And then 1,000 years later, the bird would fly back and get another grain of sand from that mountain and pick it up and fly back and deposit it over there. And 1,000 years later, another grain of sand. And then there's, you know, if he ever completes that range of mountains, he's got other ranges of mountains to do. Just a really simple, simple picture of eternity. I will exist forever. 
concepts that we are in, involved in, both as unbelievers and believers. We all will face the same principles, the same truths. God is infinite. There's no limit on his being. How do you understand that? There's hardly words to put into that to really, to really understand that. But again, I want to emphasize, and I'll be doing that a lot tonight and throughout the next few weeks, about who God is and his character. Jesus is fully God and fully man at the same time. And this is, and the last, next one is uh, really amazing. God can create something out of nothing. No one else, no God, no, no being, no cult, no, no anybody else could ever claim that they could create something out of nothing. It puts in perspective where um, evolution comes from. It just doesn't make sense that anybody else could come close to that. Word is crystal clear on this subject of election. Election is rejected not because you can't understand or comprehend it, but because it offends man's pride. Now we're getting at the crux of the matter of election. His self-will, his ego, his self-determination. He is offended because he can't make that choice. And we'll look into that in depth as we go on here, but that's the crux of the issue is it kills man's pride. If you have a Bible and you say you believe in the Bible, the only question then is what do you believe about it? Most Christians believe that what God has said in essence concerning election, you could just hear it maybe in their minds of, of the unbelie un unsaved. I'm going to reveal this and no man is going to understand it. It will be confusing, perplexing, and man will debate and argue over it. But that's just the kind of God I am. You can imagine the, the church out at, at, at enlarged today thinking those things. And so let's just leave it alone. Let's not bring it up. Let's not discuss it. But that's not the way that the scriptures talk about it. Election is a study of God's glory. Again, I want you to rethink your minds a little bit. For those of you that have gone over election through years past, this is maybe a lot of review, and that's okay. But maybe from this perspective, it's a little bit different, looking at the glory of God, the sovereignty of God. Why would I put an election about a study of God's glory? It's because we un begin to understand who God is, that he is is divine. He makes the final choices. He is the one that gets the glory for the choices that he makes. We'll look more and more into this, but it's not only about that God leaves some out and that he chooses some. It's way bigger than that. That's the, to, the message I want to try to get across tonight. Isaiah 45, 6 and 7, that men may know from the rising to the setting of the sun that there is no one besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. The one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being, creating calamity. I am the Lord who does all these. Let's, let's back up on that verse, and we'll stop and talk a little bit about it. In the middle there it says, I am the Lord and there is no other, the one forming light and creating darkness, both in terms of the, the light and the dark, the sun and the moon that, that he offers. He creates light and he creates darkness, but also he creates well-being and evil, or well-being and not, not good. <laughs> Causing well-being and creating calamity, it says. This is Isaiah 45, 6, and 7. This is not my words. This is Isaiah's words. It says, causing well-being and creating calamity. How many of you think of God as one that creates calamity? I normally don't. 
But this is a kind of God that the scriptures say that he, this is also part of his character. This is who God is. This is part of who God is. We tend to just kind of put those in the back corners of our mind and think that certainly God wouldn't be a bad God. He wouldn't create bad things. But here it is. I am the Lord who does all these. Are you ready? <laughs> In Romans 9 is our main text. We'll read through the entire chapter tonight because there's so much there. If you want, you can follow along. I'm in the um, New American Standard Version. It'll be also up on the screen. <clears throat> Romans 9, 1 through 24. I'm telling the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom belongs the adoption as sons, and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law, and the temple service and the promises, whose, whose are the fathers, and from whom is the Christ according to the flesh, who is over all. God blessed forever. Amen. Verse 6 but it is not as though the word of God has failed, for they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel, nor are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants, but through Isaac your descendants will be named. That is, it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise are regarded as descendants. For this is the word of promise, at this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but there was Rebekah also, when she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac, for though the twins were not yet born, and had not done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose, according to his choice, would stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls. You see the blue and the red distinguished there? God's purpose, according to his choice, would not stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls. Again, this is probably review for some, but new to others. It was said to her, the older will serve the younger, just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend on man who wills or the man who runs, but on who? God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I raised you up to demonstrate my power in you. I feel like shouting that really loud. <laughs> to demonstrate my power in you. <clears throat> and that my name might be proclaimed. When you're proclaiming something, you're, sh you're shouting, you're yelling it out. And that's what we need to do internally, externally, in our minds, in our, in our walk with God, I think, that we proclaim his, his name throughout the whole earth. Verse 18, so then he has mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. You can see in the red and the blue again, it points out God's direction. This is the God of, of the time, God of time that looks at things from a different perspective than we do. A God that's infinite, a God that at one, one point will be all in, in eternity, and putting this all together in, in, in time and perspective, he is the one. This is the scriptures. This is not my words. And I know you've all probably looked at this, or most of us, at one point in our life and said, yeah, that's good, and we understand, or we looked at it. <clears throat> but it's good to review. Second Peter 3. I love this, this reference. 
2 Peter 3, 1 and 2, this is now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by the apostles. Peter's just saying, I just want to jar your memory again. We've talked about this in the past. Now we're going to talk about it again. That's what he's saying. So this is what we're doing here with Romans chapter 9. Just blows me away, these verses, and the power of what these verses, the concepts of what God is saying here, what he's doing. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who resists his will? That's an understood question. No one. No one resists his will. On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? (laughs) I think of Psalm 2. Uh, the Lord, the, the kings of the earth take their stand against the Lord and his anointed. And uh, it's, a, it's incredible words right there that, that people, men, would take their stand against God, the king of the earth. And then in verse 4 of Psalm 2, it says, He who sits in the heavens laughs. <laughs> I just love it. <laughs> Who's in control? God is. God is in control. Uh, verse 20, the second half, the thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this, will it? Or does not the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which, what does it say? He prepared beforehand for glory. That's why I put up that slide a couple ones back. This is a study. Lection is a study about God's glory. For his glory, even us, whom he also called not from among Jews only, but also Gentiles. So both Jews and Gentiles are involved in this picture. Yeah? Verse 21 kind of reminds me of Bob's comments and Derek in the time you're teaching about who determines the meaning of the scripture that the author of the year. And there's some parallels, I think, with verse 21. Good comment. For the sake of the audio, I'm going to try to rephrase what you said, uh, just that you've heard this discussed before that help me out. Help me out uh, once again. The author determines the meaning, not the reader. The author determines the, the meaning, not the reader. Thank you. Good point. Thank you very much. We'll come back to this many different times, many different ways as we go through the weeks here. Definitions can be tricky, so I thought we'd put some together so you can look at these. Sovereignty of God, God is the Almighty, the possessor of all power in heaven and earth, so that no one can defeat his decree, thwart his purpose, or resist his will is absolute and infinite. God is sovereign in all of his attributes. He is sovereign in the exercise of his power. We have a hard time with that one sometimes. His power is exercised as he wills, when he wills, where he wills. I'm going to repeat that. His power is exercised as he wills, when he wills, and where he wills. We as human beings struggle with that if we don't know who God is. And that's what our study is about, to find out who God is. He has the right to govern the universe, which he made for his own glory, just as he pleases. 
It is to declare that God is God. Election, the sovereign and eternal act of God whereby, according to the good pleasure of his will and without any foreseen merit in man, he has chosen a certain number of individuals out of mankind to be receivers of his grace and eternal salvation in Christ with all his blessings, with the result that it all may be to the praise of his glory. Reprobation. <clears throat> maybe, maybe that's a new word for some. God's passive attitude in passing over some men in their regeneration, which expresses his divine justice in condemning them to eternal punishment for their sin. This word is also used with reference to persons cast away or rejected because they have failed to make use of opportunities offered them. And I already imagine what might be going through some minds that, you know, we're, we're already losing who God is and that it's not fair with God. But that's why I started out with time. That's why I started out with God's glory to remember it. And the verses in Isaiah and the verses in Romans where it says God chooses who he wants to, when he wants to, how he wants to. And you come across definitions like this concepts like this, principles like this, it's hard to separate the infinite part of God. If you just remember nothing else from this whole session, just maybe grow in the fact that God is God, that he is the one that deserves all the glory in all that he does. Fatalism. <clears throat> the issue often comes up, okay, well then, we're fatalistic. Why, why even bother? We are the result of and under the control of blind, powerful forces about which nothing can be done. There is no intelligent end, purpose, or motive. What will be, will be. Que sera, sera. <laughs> chance. We are the result of haphazard chance. No intention, direction, forethought, or plan. Only good or bad luck, fortune, and accident. What a, what a picture of how to live your life. Help, help, if that's all that we have for us, right? Luck, that which seems to happen or come to one by chance. Free will. <clears throat> Uh-oh, now we're getting into the hard stuff. The belief that the will of man is without restraint or restriction. Don't, make to me, don't mean to make light of this, but at the same time, this is stuff that I think we need to discuss. It's very serious stuff, I think, that we're dealing with. Uh, important things. Nothing externally nor internally hinders the free exercise of the will to choose what it may. I'm being very detailed about this definition. Some may disagree with it, that's okay, but it's to the fine point of what free will really is, that unless you have some out, if you have some outside influence from any resource, then it's not really totally 100% free will. That's the, that's the issue here of, of that definition. If you see the next one, free agency, it encompasses a little bit more of where we live every day. Man is free to make choices based on his strongest inclinations. Although fallen, he still has reason, conscience, can recognize moral distinctions, and choose what he may, it may. So there's the distinction, and that's, that's quite a difference when you think about the very fine point of, of free will versus the free agent. I happen to like a burgundy car, so I choose to buy a burgundy color car. I like to eat uh, broiled chicken, so I, I choose to eat broiled chicken. Uh, simple, simple, simple examples, but uh, nonetheless, we have those choices. Obviously, God gave us a brain, a mind, conscience, 
uh, reason, and we can use those. God's eternal decree, a predetermined plan by the sovereign God of the universe, conceived in eternity past, <clears throat> which serves to accomplish a divine and holy purpose, including all things pertaining to time and eternity. It is wise, unchangeable, absolute, infinite, external, unconditional, and free. Foreknowledge. <clears throat> For the knowledge possessed by God in eternity past, prior to the actuality of the acts or events which occur in time. Foreknowledge is based on, think with me on this, foreknowledge is based on God's eternal decree, which is based on his omniscience from eternity past. It's not like saying, okay, I know that Steve is going to accept Christ down the line, so I'll I'll uh, choose him. No. Steve was chosen from before eternity passed based on God's eternal decree, which is based on his omniscience. So then, yes, he has foreknowledge of, of that, that event. The different definitions of what a lot of Christians today would use in terms of foreknowledge. We'll get into more details about why that doesn't work. Predestination, the sovereign act of God whereby he determines the destiny of all who would believe in him with the acts and the events that serve to bring about that end. <coughs> Any questions before we continue? Yeah. I guess I have two for clarification. When you talk about free will, and I guess and maybe it, you said this and I just but I always think of, you know, when we think of free will, that man's will truly isn't free because we are corrupt. So we aren't free to make choices pleasing to God in our corrupt nature. Yes. Because our, our moral will is fallen. We aren't, I'm going to try to summarize again. Uh, we aren't free to make choices based on our free will because we are corrupt. Is that a good conclusion? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, man, man is is wretched and lost and with without hope. So, absolutely. And sometimes I think that that is, you know, a big piece that misses from a lot of church teaching is because <coughs> we teach everybody's just good, good little kids. Everybody's good, good, good. And so we don't we don't have this concept everyday working knowledge that we are. Yeah, everybody is is not good. We are rebellious by nature. Uh, absolutely, Luann, thanks. And then the other one is... Right. Karma comes from the, the pit, basically. <laughs> so, yeah, that's another thing in our, in our world today. Karma, chance, luck, it's, it's all around us. Um, and, yeah... It's unfortunate that that's where our world is. Um, I'm already thinking of many things that I want to tell in our presentation right now that, that are leading into you know, the, the days to come about that. But suffice it to say that um, God, God gets the glory in, in everything that he does in our life in, in that relationship. Yeah. Did God create sin? Okay, any other questions? <laughs> you know, that's not part of this, this discussion, seriously. But it seems, I've done this before, and it seems to come up. So let me just take about a two-minute detour, and I'll ask for help from either Bob or Eric, too, um, when you consider creation and Adam and Eve, and they were the ones that sinned on earth first because Eve was deceived and she, she bought the lie. Uh, that was, those, those are created beings before that 
but it was Satan in the garden that tempted Eve in the garden. And <clears throat> when, you, when you take it a step back further, um, where did the angels come from? Where did Satan come from? When you take it out, out of this world into the, into the infinite world, then God created angels. We know that. Um, and the scriptures talk um, very carefully about who Satan was, that he was a wonderful, wonderful creature, the most beloved with all the, all the um, diamonds and rubies and, and such that display his wonderfulness. And yet God said, and I think, is that Isaiah, Eric, that um, is talking about Satan has de decided to deceive in his heart. So <clears throat> there was obviously, call it sin or rebellion, in heaven before it ever gave, came to earth. So when you, when you consider um, sin before man, then what, what did God do when he created the angels knowing that they, one-third of them would rebel and sin? Hmm, how do you answer that? He, he created them for his purpose. I believe that God created the angels, Satan, to carry out his ultimate will. That God had a plan to rectify the world, to save the world, and he needed Satan to carry out his deeds. God does not himself... Um, tempt anyone, scriptures tell us, but uh, he, did, he did create Satan, and Satan then was used by God to do evil, to do sin. So, again, I'm going to repeat myself many times about this, and I, I love it. God gets the glory because of the way that he set up the plan. I'm excited to show you the, the various plans of what God had in mind or what the potential could have been for you to understand that the plan that God chose, the one that we live in, where there was a Savior, or, you know, creation and man sinned and a Savior, and that was the best plan of all the ones that could have been created. But I'm getting ahead of myself. I hope that answers your question a little bit. Okay. This is where we're going, the big picture. The three pillars of election, sovereignty of God, Trinitarian expressions of love, the chain of the plan of God. God chose, you, don't, you won't be understanding these until we get into them, but just to show you an outline of where we're heading. The glory of God, the purpose for choosing the plan, which we just touched on, the display of the glory of God by the plan, the inability of spiritually dead men. So that's the, <clears throat> the three pillars of election. Sovereignty of God, the glory of God, and the inability of spiritually dead men. You can imagine three columns in the front of the old mansion. You know, one represents each, each one of these the sovereignty of God, the glory of God, inability of spiritually dead men, the depravity of men. And then we're, we're going to look in more into election, scripture on election. We'll look at lots and lots and lots of scripture on election. So there's no doubt in your mind what the scriptures have to say, not just one or two or three or a, or a smattering, but pages of election scripture. And I'm going to take the time to read through every one of them so you understand what the scriptures are saying. Pre-salvation progression, the external and internal callings of God. That's where we're heading. 
and the three pillars of, of uh, free will, man's free will. Why does man cling to the idea of free will? One, God needs to be protected from being unfair. <laughs> Unjust and responsible for the decisions of man. I've heard that discussion my earlier years in the other places. Certainly that wouldn't be right for God to, to be unfair. And that's the thing, one of the things that the Armenians cling to or unbelievers cling to, that God is just unfair. And who could love a God like that that would be unfair? You know, they're tough issues, you guys. And, you know, we're here to discuss these things. I'm not afraid to bring them up. If you have issues, let's talk about them. Hopefully the Holy Spirit will help tune your hearts. Number two, free will needs to be protected. Only way to make man responsible. <laughs> Certainly couldn't be God responsible. So God doesn't want robots. Is part of our Adamic nature to be totally free and independent. We'll look again at Romans 9 from a different perspective, short verses. Example of elect being saved, city of Nineveh. Remember the story, Jonah 3, 4, and 5. We could read the whole, whole book almost because it's so enlightening. But then just these verses say, that <clears throat> Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk. And he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh, you're going to get yours. <laughs> no, it says, Nineveh will be overthrown. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God. So God obviously set up the city of Nineveh to be devastated, only we know from the scriptures that he chose not to devastate them. He chose to choose them. And they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. We've got 10 minutes or so. Oh, that's fast. Quarter to eight. We've got a few minutes here. Let's, let's go through the sovereignty of God. <clears throat> Three pillars of election. God is the ultimate source of everything. God knew all possible plans he could put into existence. The glory of God, the center, center column, center pillar. God chose the plan that would most fully display all of his attributes. Glorify him the most. And then the, <clears throat> the final one, it's all part of election is our complete inability of a spiritually dead man. And again, all of these pillars are very significant to hold up the structure of election. You can't have a, a man that's only 99.5% dead and then raising his finger and trying to choose God when he can barely breathe his last doesn't work that way. The support would fall down. The house would fall down. If you get the picture I'm trying to portray. Or the glory of God. If you only have the sovereignty of God and the inability of spiritually dead men, it just wouldn't. You, you get the idea. Oh, this is pretty clear. Good. I'm glad. <clears throat> I can't walk over there, but can I take this Bob, can I pick this up? Sure, and Bob, you don't push any buttons. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Ooh, just don't fall over the, the cord. The plan of God. God chose the plan he, he did to bring about, bring him the most glory, most fully display his attributes. Here's all possible plans, A through infinity. All right? Maybe this is pretty self-explanatory, but... The idea here is God chose plan A, creation, fall, Savior, Jesus, few elected to believe, many passed over, believers, heaven, unbelievers, hell, a plan which would enable him to reveal himself in all his attributes. I've never thought about this before, before my friend 
pointed this, this concept out, but why did God choose this? I mean, this is obviously why, but the fact that God could have chosen another plan, couldn't he? How many have ever thought of that before? I hadn't. Okay, a few of you. Another example, creation, fall, judgment, all in hell. I mean, that's one, one scenario. See, creation, man stays sinless. D, creation, fall, judgment, savior, all in heaven. Creation, number E, letter E. Creation, fall, man through his good works obtains salvation. And F, creation, fall, judgment, total annihilation of all creation. <laughs> I mean, you know, the plans are infinite. And God could have chosen something different couldn't he? But the fact that he chose this plan, creation, fall, Savior Jesus, few elected to believe, many passed over, believers in heaven, unbelievers in hell, gives him the most glory, displays his attributes the best and the most. Yeah? going to say that's <coughs> thank you <laughs> thank you Eric that's a little bit too much to summarize Eric tell me again in Romans just for the voice for the Romans 9 verse 22 and 23 where does the word and go exactly And, and that would show two purposes then, not just one. Yeah. In, in, the new, in my New American Standard, the word and is in verse 23. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm going to back up just a little bit. So I wanted to read... Just a little note from Jonathan Edwards about the sovereignty of God. When he was 26 years old, Jonathan Edwards is a great New England preacher and theologian of the 18th century. He had an equally deep love for these truths of the sovereignty of God. He wrote when he was 26 about the day he fell in love with the sovereignty of God. There, was, there has been a wonderful alteration in my mind in respect to the doctrine of God's sovereignty. From that day to this, God's absolute sovereignty is what my mind seems to rest assured of 
as much as anything that I see with my eyes. The doctrine has very often appeared exceeding, pleasant, bright, and sweet. Absolute sovereignty is what I love to, just, to ascribe to God. God's sovereignty has ever appeared to me a great part of his glory. It has often been my delight to approach God and adore him as a sovereign God. Unquote from Jonathan Edwards. We'll touch more on that in, in a minute. I think you get the idea. God had a reason for choosing the plan that he did. <clears throat> Sovereignty of God, Romans eleven thirty six. For from him and through him and to him are all things. 1 Timothy 6.15, who is blessed and only sovereign, King of kings and Lord of lords. Colossians 1.17, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. 1 Chronicles 29.11, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory, and the majesty, indeed everything that is in the heaven and the earth, yours is the dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. You exalt your head yourself as head over all. So God himself exalts himself. Think about that one. I can see the wheels turning. That's fun. Glory of God. <clears throat> Ephesians 1, 5 and 6. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intentions of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace. Often we've read these verses maybe hundreds of times in our Christians' lives but when you start to focus on something that you maybe haven't focused on before, it just is like, to me, it just jumps off the page and says, look at me, look at, the, look at my glory, look at my sovereignty, look at who I am. And God gets all the glory. I get it. This, this is exciting just to look into who God is. Ephesians 1.12 to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. So why did God create us? According to this verse, that we, Christ, would be to the praise of his glory. 1 Corinthians 10.31 Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Romans 9.23, and he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand in eternity past. Beforehand, it says, before now, before the, the scriptures, which he prepared beforehand. He did so to make known the riches of his glory that's what this study is about, who God is, the riches of his glory. I just, I get excited about who God is and what the scriptures are saying in that regard. How much more do we go here? Sovereignty of God. We'll do this one more. <clears throat> Complete inability of a spiritually dead man. This is the third pillar in the support of, of election. The sovereignty of God, the glory of God, the inability of spiritually dead man. Okay? Ephesians 2.1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sin. Romans 3.11, no, there is none who seeks for God. Think about that. There is none who seeks for God. That doesn't exclude anyone. It doesn't, it's, you know, 
pick a person. They're not, they're not excluded. They're, oh, no one, no one seeks God. How can it be more clear than that? To me, it's, it's very, very clear. Colossians 2.13, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, John 6.65, and he was saying, for this reason, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. I'm going to read that verse again. And he was saying, for this reason, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. Pretty clear to me. God chooses who he chooses. 1 Corinthians 2.14, but a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Even if a natural man wanted to choose God, it's a befuddling experience. It's a befuddling concept. It's a befuddling <coughs> thing. The scriptures say he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. So we are dead in our trespasses and sin, and God has to choose us so that we can choose him. That's where a free agency comes in. God chooses us. We'll look at that more in the weeks to come. God chooses us, and then we can choose him. Questions, comments? Okay. Thank you so much for coming. I was told to go to 8, and we can have time afterwards to talk or whatever you want, and uh, we'll be dismissed. Let me pray. Go ahead, Christy. Well, if I can have a minute, I just want to lay this out there because I pondered through a lot of this stuff. Um, and one of the thoughts about why this plan, why their sin, you know, where did that sin come from, all that, did God create sin, um, and, I, and this has absolutely no biblical or theological um, um, basis except for just thinking about it. Um, when God created us in his image, um, there's like us, but then there's God. Create other gods. There, if, if we had that perfection, would we have been other gods? You know that that's sort of that struggle that I had. So I just I just want to put it out there while we're talking about this. Um, the fact that it, God's um, glory is displayed, His attributes that most displayed is sort of a good thing for me to hear because I hadn't really thought about that purpose. Right. But but anyway, I just. Maybe sometime somebody can talk to me about that idea I have. <laughs> God did not create other gods for this audio purposes. Yeah, God did not create other gods. So, yeah, that, that's another concept to, to look at, consider. Yeah, that his, is a conundrum because if something's created, then it's already not God. created at all with whatever right. attributes you are created right. and therefore not eternal right. and therefore contingent and therefore don't fit the definition of God. Thank you, Bob. That, none of that got on the audio, but that's okay. Yeah, go ahead, Luann. I thought this is where she was going to go with it, but when we talk about the origin of sin, you know, did God create it or not? But God, we were created in the image of God. We have, God has, there were some characteristics of God that were transferable to us and some that were not, you know, like eternally, you know, like the problem. And so because we have some of those,
transferable characteristics, we do have freedom of thought, you know. So because in his kindness, I guess, he gave us these personalities, these attributes that we'll talk about later down the road of God's, we have some of those, but unfortunately we use them in the wrong means. And so that those angels, you know, they because our natural tendency then is to want to be God. We're not satisfied. Yeah, we're not we're not satisfied with our with ourselves. We want to be more than what God made us to be. I'm bad bad at summarizing what you're saying, but yeah, thank you. Excellent point. Go ahead, Peter. Hang, hang on, hang on, Eric. Let's let's get this on the recorder. The question was, um, is God responsible for evil? And what we often distinguish in theology is different causes. For instance, God in one sense is the formal cause of all things. So think of him like this grand architect who knows all things. He Does he know that you and I are going to sin? Absolutely. But is he the instrumental cause of our sin? And that's what Steve was pointing out. And you were citing in your mind James 1, 13 through 14, where, and let me just cite it, um, this is where James says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, nor does he tempt anyone else, but we're carried away by our own lusts. So if you think about it, God in a sense is this architect who knows that we're going to sin, but his hands are in no way stained with the sin that you and I do. And so the, the reason, or what we should come back to is then is, well, if he's the architect and knows that there's sin, why does he not make a system, remember he had all A, B, C, D, E, all those contingencies, why does he not make a world in which there was no sin? Well, he hit on it, the glory of God. And that's where I think Romans 9 pulls back the umbrella, or the, the, the think of like at a, uh, a circus, you have the top of the tent, the yeah, the covering, and, and there God pulls it back and lets you see that this is for God's glory. So he's the architect, he knows that there's sin, he's the formal cause, but his hands are in no way stained with sin. He's not the instrumental cause. You and I do the sinning. You and I do the evil. He knows about it, but his hands are in no way touched or tainted by it, if that makes sense. But wasn't that part of his plan? Exactly. That's the whole point. It's part of his plan. And why? Because when you and I sin, then he is able to do what? He's able to demonstrate more of his attributes by demonstrating. Exactly. And at the end of the book, he vanquishes evil. And he gets glory for that, and he makes the best possible world. So he also uses it redemptively. What's that? Exactly. But knowing full well that they were going to sin, nothing surprised him. Yep. Um, yeah, that's really good. Let me give this little summary of this. Oh, yeah. That yeah, I've used yeah. over the years. Yep. Okay, to help us understand it. And back to where Steve started. We wouldn't know any of this if the scripture hadn't told it to us. Yeah. Okay, so we're not thinking, okay, let's devise this system, this is the way it's going to be. We're thinking, what has God revealed in Scripture that we can know about? Yeah. Had he not done that, we wouldn't know. Yeah. And so we don't want to change Scripture to fit what we think it ought to be. We want to change us so we think like what the Scripture says. Now here's a summary, I believe, of what the Scripture says. God allowed evil, that's taking in your point about, exactly. you know, the ultimate causes. God allowed evil, God used evil. What do you mean God used evil? Well, remember Joseph and his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Uh, Jesus was crucified by wicked, evil men, but God used the death of the Savior to bring our salvation. Okay, so God allowed evil, God used evil, God overcame evil. What do you mean he overcame evil? Well, Jesus was raised from the dead. Jesus rose triumphant. He paid the penalty. Ultimately, death and hell are thrown into the lake of fire, along with all the rebels. Okay, so God allowed evil, God used evil, God overcame evil for a greater good. Now, here's where we need to accept what the Bible says, and you were bringing this up. Yeah. 
And what is this greater good? The display of God's glory in both showing mercy and judgment. Amen. Wow. He displays the full orb of his glorious attributes as the ruler of the universe. So did God create sin? He created a universe in which sin arose. That's what I was saying. What's yeah. Yeah, that's that's how the Bible tells it. God created the angels to accomplish God's ultimate plan. Right. But when they sinned, it was their own decision. Exactly. That's it. You got it. And when God planned it from before he even created the angels. And again, he gets the glory for that. Amen. God always gets the glory. (laughs) Hold on. He sins not. Um... If I create a robot and told it to give up by some random number, I give it 50, 50, 90, 10, whatever, to murder someone or not murder someone, and it comes up with a random number that tells it to murder someone and murder somebody, am I still responsible? You, you spend too many times, too much time <laughs> thinking about some certain things. I don't know. Uh, it's different, but then you have a... Ran, you have randomness that wouldn't be true about God in his own universe. That's what I was going to say. The difference there is between the human factor and the God factor, that, that God is the one that does the cho- choosing about the murder in, in your example. So I get what your point is, but it's not quite accurate to who, the, who God is. Yeah, we're going to have to wrap up. One concept I just wanted to hit on foreknowledge before we move on to next week is one thing with foreknowledge is tied into it is uh, foreloving. For instance, back in, um, when you look at Genesis 4, I'm just giving one example. Genesis 4, 17, it says that Cain knew his wife. And see, the idea of knowledge there isn't just that he cognitively understood who she was, but that they had an intimate relationship. And so the same idea applies in Romans 8, 30, where it says those whom he foreknew he predestined. Because there the foreknowledge isn't just that he knew who was going to choose him, but rather it's the idea that God foreloved them. And because he placed his covenant love upon them, he predestined them. So it ties in with his predestined uh, activity. So just one other point I want to throw out there. Oh, yeah. Hey, I want to go back to Adam and Eve. They're a good, good couple. <laughs> so, did God allow them to sin? Did He know they were going to sin, or did He cause them to sin? God and His sovereignty. We've already addressed that a little bit. Richard Pickham and Mark Stone. Otherwise, I won't get on tape. Did God cause Adam and Eve to sin? Did he know they were going to sin? Uh, God, God created Adam and Eve again with a plan, I think, that goes along with what we've already been talking about. Eric touched on it. Bob touched on it. Others have touched on it. That God knew from eternity past before, you know, again, one of those concepts that we can't quite wrap our minds around is God is infinite from way, way beyond our minds created Adam and Eve and and he knew that they would sin. Uh, 